good evening. It is so good to be able to come together once again to worship in spirit and in truth and knowing that we have done that in a way that God would find pleasing. We have visitors with us tonight and we are so thankful for your presence and invite you to come back to any and all of our services if you can. If you have questions about our services, please just ask one of us members here, elders, and we will... Uh, be happy to answer any questions that you may have here about us at the Pippin congregation. Prepare to meet thy God. That is the title of our lesson tonight, taken from Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. And as we progress through the lesson tonight, we'll start with this slide of introduction. Maybe. There we go. All right. We all know the song. It's titled in our songbooks, Prepare to Meet Thy God. It's song number 538. And as we turn our attention to our lesson tonight, we're going to, to take that song and, and let that message of that song aid us through the, the course of our lesson tonight and to help us apply lessons that we need tonight to apply to our lives to help us to be sure to prepare to meet thy God. So we'll ask ourselves a question. How are we living as Christians? We're going to take a look at the death and judgment. And we're going to take a look and ask ourselves, are we ready to stand before God in judgment and be ready to meet him? As that description as given in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 36. And finally, we'll look and ask ourselves if we're ready for an eternity in heaven for an eternity in hell. Carelessness. That's the first slide of title that I've given to this slide. And you'll notice in the first verse of that song, we'll, I would like to read that. Verse 1 of song number 538. Careless soul, why will you linger, wandering from the fold of God? Hear you not the invitation, O prepare to meet thy God. We all know very well that many individuals in our land are careless. They're careless with regards to religion. They're careless with their lives and how they live. And we know very well the purpose that our Savior had coming to this earth. He didn't come to heal the sick or raise the dead, although he could do it by way of miracle. But we are told in Luke 19.10 as well as Matthew 18.11, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he did that. He put his plan of salvation in at the cross, and that was now a reality. And with that description in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he also promised to build a glorious church. And that is his body, as we learned this morning in the lesson. That is also described in Ephesians 5.27 as well as Ephesians 4.4. There is one body. But although many in our land reject Christ, Jesus said that himself in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to life, 
to lead to destruction, I'm sorry, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. And that can truly be said in our, about our land today and really in our world. Many in our world worship this world and the possessions they have. Many individuals turn their attention to their jobs, their house, their car, their boat, their money, and the list could go on and on. It seems they don't have time to allow Christ to come into their life because they're so busy with their possessions. They put these things before God, before matters of the church. And if we're not as careful as Christians, we can be guilty of this as well. And we all know that description of what's going to happen to all idolaters as the descriptions given throughout the New Testament. Jesus asked a strong question in Matthew 16, 26. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Many individuals do that very thing. The, this current year of 2018, we all see it so much through materialism or sinful lifestyles. It seems they give up their soul salvation for all those things. They're careless. In 1 John 2.15, we are told that to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus tells us that we are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, for this is the first and greatest commandment. And if we lose that, if we don't have the love we have for God, as we're supposed to as Christians, then it's not going to be good for us for eternity. A lost individual, on the other hand, that knows the truth, that may have had some knowledge of the truth, or a lost Christian, are truly careless. There may be one that was a Christian at one time. They were baptized for the remission of their sins. They were added to the church. But in the recent months and years, maybe they got mixed up with the wrong crowd, or maybe they got mixed up with the wrong family that pulled them away from God, that pulled them away from Christ, and they're openly now have rejected Christ. Maybe this individual has faced a near-death experience or illness or surgery or whatever the case may be. And by the blessing of God, they gave this individual another chance. And maybe this individual made the statement that I, would, I want to come back to Christ and talking with them and asking them and urging them to think carefully about their soul's salvation. But they have the, that blessing of getting well and getting better and maybe in the weeks and months they get back home and the weeks and months go by and we tragically see them getting back into their old habits of life. They don't appreciate what God did for them. They're simply careless. 
With that sense of carelessness brings us to our next slide. The seriousness of sin. We are told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. Any sin described in the Bible, in any form, in any way, transgresses his law, if we are guilty of them. And it is so true that many in our world turn a blind eye to sin and what it does to their life. It separates them from God. It separates them from Christ. And one of the most mind-numbing scenes in the Bible of what sin did comes from the very crucifixion itself. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. That was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 4, as well as highlighted in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. If you would, let's turn there and read that verse together, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24. Who is, who his own self bear our sins in his body, in his own body, on the tree, that we, being dead to the sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And also, as we come to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. We are given another description of what our Savior endured. I'll start reading in verses 7 through 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard that, he, that in what he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So one may ask themselves, where, where, on what occasion was this scene of Jesus crying taking place? The description is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died. We're told that in verse 7. The one, from the one that was able to save him from death, this very description of Christ himself praying to God. But also with that, the verse says, with crying, with, with supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him. I wonder why he cried. Some have suggest that it was the pain that he was going to feel the very next day. And although that next day was going to be painful, he was going to be bound as a criminal. He was going to be humiliated, slapped, spit on, scourged, his flesh ripped apart off his body. He was going to have a crown of thorns beaten into his, down in his head. He was going to bear the load of the cross to Golgotha. And ultimately, he was going to have those nails driven into his hands and feet. But friend, throughout the whole scene of the crucifixion, Jesus did not ask for relief of the pain. And as we come to Mark 15, 34, 
we are told our answer of why he cried. Also in Matthew 26, 38, we're told that Jesus said he was sorrowful. And in Hebrews 5, verse 7, gives us our answer of why he cried. Because he knew he was going to have to be identified with sin. He was going to take mine and yours to the cross. And if we could only stretch our minds to think not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world, as described in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, those sins that would be committed by any person in any country, all those sins that were known to the world heaped upon our Savior at that very moment in the crucifixion that led him to say in Mark 15, 30, 34, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We remember that scene very well as darkness had fallen over the land. We had reached the three o'clock hour of that day. And throughout that whole darkness, those sins that the world would ever know from any individual living on any continent in this world was heaped upon him. May I suggest to you that's why the Father forsook him. We're expressly told in Habakkuk 1.13 that thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Friend, sin separated the second member of the Godhead from the Father. If that isn't serious enough, I don't know what any other scene in the Bible there could be to describe the seriousness of sin like that. But many, many today stand thoughtless to that regard. They don't care what Jesus did for them. They're so wound up, caught up in their lives. And what sin will do to us today is still very, very severe. It'll damn our souls to an eternal hell if we allow it. And in verse 2 of our song, it says, Why so thoughtless are you standing while the fleeting years go by and your life is spent in folly? Oh, prepare to meet thy God. You may notice that word folly in verse 2 that's just another translation of the word foolishness. So many are foolish and thoughtless today in regards to sin. They don't care. They simply do not care what it will do to them. They don't care what will happen when they die. Many of them don't give a thought to it. And friends, how tragic that is. As we continue on, Let's come into a description of you and I. As a Christian, it is true, we are given a tremendous promise. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light, 
as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, we ought not take that as saying we're not going to sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a distinction. There's a distinction in habitual life of sin. That means a life of ongoing sin. And a distinction in those that those slip-ups that you and I may commit, whether in action or thought, or by way of speech, we're going to be guilty of those things. We're not going to be able to live a life sinlessly perfect. But that wonderful promise of that verse, if we walk in the light, we have an ongoing, constant life of allowing sin to be forgiven, about allowing it to be cleansed from our life. So one may ask, how do we walk in the light? We walk in the light by obeying the will of God, obeying his word out of love, obeying the plan of salvation first and foremost. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 3 and 8, I'm sorry, ver chapter 3, verse 8, it says, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. That very verse tells us and describes to us that ongoing life of habitual sin. And one cannot, a Christian cannot live in a life of habitual sin and expect, expect it to be forgiven. They, can, they have to come to their senses. They have to confess those things. And with prayer, that can then be forgiven if they've been, become a Christian. But another danger, a description that's given to us in a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 42. Let's turn there and read that together, please. Matthew chapter 13 verses 36 through 42. Before we read this parable, Brother Randy not too long ago brought a lesson about this parable itself and went into great detail on it. And we'll not go into too much detail, but what we need to take out of this is this is a parable about the kingdom. And we are told that the kingdom is the church, Colossians 1.13. So this is a parable about the church. Now, in of Matthew chapter 13, in verses 24 through 33, I'm sorry, verses 34 through 30, Jesus describes the parable. And after that, he describes two more parables. But it's interesting in verses 36 and verse 36, the disciples were a bit confused in this parable. So Jesus went on and described it again and clarified it for them as well as you, you and I. I'll begin reading in verses 36 
through 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the, in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, the, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Something very important our Savior pointed out in verse 41. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, this is descriptive of now the judgment, shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom. Friend, this is the church. All things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and they're then bound and burned. They're the tares. Friends, this is a parable and description of what is going to what it's going to be like for the church. If I may elaborate a little bit more on that, there may be individuals living in the church that are living a private, ongoing life of habitual sin. And they're privately lost. Nobody else knows it. We see what their fate will be if one does not repent. And nobody else knows this, but the ultimate being in this universe knows it. And friend, isn't that really all that matters? He controls our eternity. He controls where we're going to be after that judgment occurs. And brethren, if we know the sins that this individual is facing, we could talk with them. We would, we would encourage them. We would pray with them. And we would even follow the steps of disfellowshipment if that be in order. But the sad thing about it is we don't know. But it will be known on the day of judgment. Jesus said that when he gave the first description of the parable, let the wheat and the tares grow together. So what about in the Bible? Do we see an example of this? And we do. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the life of Demas is described. Here Demas was at one time a faithful Christian, but so sadly he loved this present world. And he had forsaken Paul. He had forsaken the church. He had forsaken his salvation. Now we read nowhere else in the New Testament that he ever uh, turned his life back over to Christ. We pray that he did. 
but we are given no indication from Paul that he ever did. And the description of the fate of those who knew the way of righteousness but forsook the Savior. And that description is given to us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. I invite you to turn there and we'll read that together. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutants of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had, it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than for after have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it, it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to its own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Friend, this is the most sorest means of punishment for the individuals that this applies for, that these individuals will face on that day of judgment. Because we live under a perfect law now, my friend. We live under the church of Christ of the New Testament and in his salvation. And if anybody rejects that now, Paul says here it'd be better or Paul, he says here it would be better for them than to never have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Friend, that's plain. That's serious. And with that seriousness of sin brings us to this. Death and judgment. We all know death, and is, death is an appointment that we're all going to have to face. Sometimes we, keep, we have appointments and sometimes we miss them. Sometimes we're late for them. But friend, none of us will be late for our, our appointment of death. We are told in Hebrews 9, verse 27, As it is appointed unto men once to die, then after this the judgment. And in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, we are given a full description of the Hadean realm, that place of disembodied spirits. Of course, the rich man and Lazarus was under description. The rich man, of course, was in that place of Tartarus. And although the King James Version uses translate that as hell, we know those three distinctions. But Lazarus was in a place of, of comfort. Lazarus was in a place known as paradise of that Hadean rim, those two compartments of it. And then we all know that we are told in Revelation 20, verse 14, that those spirits that are in there, they're going to come forth. They're going to be fitted with that incorruptible body, and they're going to await judgment, just as Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us. And then, of course, Hades, 
will be cast into Gehenna. We are told that as well. To be destroyed, there will be no need for it anymore. Because heaven and hell will be the two places of eternity for all the nations that will be gathered before him at that moment. And we are told in James 4.14 that each of our lives are described as being so short compared to eternity. You know, we know individuals, maybe you have family members that lives to be 95, 100, or maybe even older, and to us, that may be such a long, long time. But friend, that fails to compare what eternity will be like. Our minds can't even grasp that. And in James chapter 4, verse 14, it compares our lives to a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. We all know, in this area at least, how fog different times during the year it'll come and the dew will come in the morning and eventually within a few hours when the sun comes up it's gone this verse says that's our life my friend that's how short it is compared to eternity so after death will come the judgment and in John chapter 12 Verse 48, Jesus gives us this description. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And also our lesson text of Romans 14, verses 11 and 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account to himself to God. A verse like this one teaches us the individual nature that the judgment, how the judgment will be delivered. I won't answer for my parents or my friends or my neighbors or they won't answer for me, will be judged individually by our works that we have done. And lastly, on this slide, that brings us to the terror of the Lord. If you'll go back one, please. Thank you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, that description is given. For knowing the terror of the Lord, we ought to persuade men. That's why we try to reach those that are lost, my friend. That's why we try to bring them to the truth. And that brings us to verse 3 of our song. Hear you not the earnest pleadings of your friends who wish thee well? And perhaps before tomorrow you'll be called to meet thy God. Friend, we ha friends, we have to talk to others in our lives that's lost that is apart from Christ that's not a member of the church we learned that this morning didn't we about that one body
because for those individuals that's not a member of that body, we all know what their fate's going to be. The terror of the Lord is real. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Friends, every person that has never obeyed the gospel is lost. That verse says so. And the judgment that's going to be theirs. And with that, we'll come to the conclusion of our lesson tonight. The invitation. Verse 4 says, If you spurn the invitation till the Spirit shall depart, then you'll see your sad condition unprepared to meet thy God. That verse says it so plainly, doesn't it? Now the invitation that we offer here, we all know at the end of every sermon and lesson, that's just a convenient time for one that's a either never obeyed the gospel or one that's never that's an erring child of God. But any time is a time of salvation. We can learn the example of Felix in Acts chapter 24, verses 25. He was desirous of a more convenient season. He knew what to do. He knew about the judgment. But he said, I'll call to thee when there's a more convenient season. And as we know, we're not, not given a record if that convenient season ever came for Felix. Friend, are you ready to meet, to meet thy God? If you die tonight, or if the Lord comes back, would you be ready to meet him? Although when one dies, you don't meet him then. You're in that Hadean realm until the judgment. And of that verse, of the song in verse, verse 4, the first few words, if you spurn the invitation, that word literally means to reject, to put off. Friend, if you need to respond, but... You put it off, your eternity is at stake. Don't be like Felix. He heard Paul and trembled, but he still put it off. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, we have to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. And we are also told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, today is this day of salvation. There may not be tomorrow. The Lord may come back exactly one hour from now. Maybe some things we have looked at tonight has troubled one or more in the audience. You know in your heart you're not right with God at this very moment. Friend, why do you delay? 
Don't be like Felix. Don't put it off. Don't wait for more a more convenient season for that convenient season that may never come. This is a time of ex examination for all of us. And if you know, you picture the judgment in your mind. And you know you're on the left hand of God. You won't be able to blame those that wished you well. Those that talked to you about the gospel. You certainly won't, even, you certainly won't be able to blame God because he sent his son to die for you. The only one you'll have to blame will be yourself. And that plan of salvation is this. If one has never obeyed, obeyed it, you have to hear the word, Romans 10, 17. You have to believe, Mark 16, 15, with all your heart that Jesus came. You have to repent of the sins in your life that change of mind that leads to that change in action, change in behavior. You have to confess his name publicly as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9. And lastly, you have to be scripturally baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. You're then buried with him in death, and Acts 2, 47 tells us you're then added to his church. And if you remain faithful until death, Revelation 2, 10 says... Heaven will be yours. Or perhaps there's one or more in the audience that has done those things, but upon examination of your life, you know that you're not right with God at this moment. If you're not, please don't delay, but come even now while together we stand and while we sing.